0: Adulting can be hard, and have you ever noticed that the longer we adult, the less social we seem to become? Join us as a pastor, a lawyer, and a generalist walk into a podcast to make time for meaningful conversations about life, theology, and the church. We are The Socially Remote. Well, how's it going, guys? It's good to be back on The Socially Remote. How are you tonight? Doing well. Good to hear.
1: Yeah, doing pretty well. How are you doing,
0: Stephen? You know, I can't complain. It was a beautiful day today. We are recording on Wednesday, October the 14th. And we've just come out of a ridiculously rainy few days. And it was so nice out today. Yep. Just made me want to be outside, but I was inside working all day, unfortunately. Yeah. David, what were you doing today?
1: Uh, I actually had a rather eclectic day. It's a good use of eclectic. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. At work, I spent most of my time studying, um, preaching this Sunday. So, I was doing a lot of what, studying. What are you? What are you preaching on? Kind of covering John chapter three and four, but I'm kind of zeroing in on John chapter three verses thirty-one to thirty-six. So uh, you're gonna you're gonna avoid the three sixteen then. <laughs> Thankfully, our pastor covered that one this past week. I'll I, I will go back to it. Very good. Um, but yeah, studied, uh, wrote a good bit this afternoon. Uh, Also did an article for our newsletter, and then after that, I baked some bread and chopped some wood. And now I am
0: wait. (laughs) You are time out, time out. Doing a podcast
1: with you guys. We need to rewind
0: that. You bake some bread, right? And there is none here. It was for neighbors are we not your neighbors? I believe <laughs> and, Jesus ooh. asked that maybe even in the passage of preaching.
2: I was going to simply say that uh, David is quite the Renaissance man.
1: Jack of all trades. I like to call are you
0: going to let him off the hook like that. You, I don't, am. you don't have
1: any bread either, Matt. <laughs> I, I, I know I'm good. No, two weeks from now I'll bring bread. Our neighbors brought us some homemade muscadine jelly. Ooh. And so we took them some bread to put the jelly on and you we, have the jelly right? Well, they they have jelly as well. I think they were, I think it was a bumper crop. So, Oh, very good. Uh, yeah. So So we we can
0: expect some muscadine jelly also in two weeks when we meet.
1: If there's (laughs) any left, I'll be glad to bring you some. Excellent. So yeah, it was a good, it was a good day. Got to get my hands on a lot of things. It'd be awesome if more than one of those things paid me because in between writing and baking bread, I had to take my car to see about getting the transmission replaced. So if I could make a little money off baking or being a lumberjack. You kind of look like be a lumberjack. Ad- ideal. Well, I've got a
0: challenge for our listeners that might eventually lead to some of that kind of stuff getting, getting us paid. Would you like to hear about it? Yes, I would. Okay. So we are currently as of today, the socially remote, the socially remote October 14th, 2020. We are just a little over a thousand listens, which is pretty impressive for first season. I
1: think we're closer to like 12 or 1300.
0: Well, I didn't check it today, so, you know, we are kind of having that snowball effect. So if that's the case, then maybe I need to up what I'm about to say, but I And
1: mean, when it hasn't even been a full year. A no, 1400 maybe. Fourteen hundred. Well, then Started this is in, a,
2: What was our first episode? Mid March. I can't remember. Like, it was April sixteenth. April. Okay. There you go. This
1: yeah. Was our socially remote trailer, and then we put out our first episode that same day. So
2: it hadn't even been a full year. Nope. Closer to a four year
1: So what I'd like
0: to challenge our listeners, and again, we are the socially remote, so we're not on the socials, and so we need you to help us get to two thousand twenty listens by the end of twenty twenty. That's the goal. Ooh. Four more episodes. Four more
2: episodes, including this one. Mm-hmm. So, yep. I'll just say I do think that the. One we do next time interviewing Dr. Uh, Truman, that should generate a lot of listens. I, I mean, unless we just botch the interview, but that book is blowing me away
0: that we're going to interview him. But see, the problem is the book's not out yet. So who's going to, who's going to share?
2: We're going to ask him questions about the
0: book because we have the book. Well, that's true, but who's going to share this? It's going to be a lot of anticipation. I think it'll get shared. I do too. I do too. So 2020 listens by the end of 2020, that is our campaign. We need your help to get us there. And I think, I think we can do it. And maybe just maybe if we get to something like that, we might be able to monetize the podcast, then you have to put up with ads and everything else. So please, please send this out to people. Just now kidding. a word from our sponsors.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I listen to a lot of podcasts and obviously the most successful ones, they've got plenty of advertisements that they do. And they do it themselves. So like Express
0: VPN.
1: <laughs> you know. <It's> don't, give, <laughs> don't
0: give free airtime. If you're going to do it, make something <laughs> you know, up. Like,
2: so we have to start working on our Sargento advertiser voice. Cheddar slices.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've got a Sargento cheddar slice right here. See, Sargento, we're ready for you. 2,000 listens. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, it's fall and pumpkin is here. And so if you need a pumpkin, I would suggest you go to your local supermarket and pick a pumpkin up. That is a word from our sponsors tonight. Matt, do you want to introduce this topic for us? Yes. Not only is it fall, but
2: it's election season. And that is going to be the topic that we're going to talk tonight about more specifically about politics. And this
0: episode should make up our extra 500 based on where our country is right
2: uh, now. Yes, exactly. So every four years in particular, I mean, you know, there's elections every year, but every four years, Uh, A big part of the federal government is up for uh, election or re-election. Obviously, the presidency is the biggest one that everyone talks about, but, of course, one-third the Senate... All four hundred thirty-five members of Congress are up for um,
0: election as well. So, has, has that always been the case? I, I didn't realize that all four hundred thirty-five yeah, members—they only serve two
2: years—and
0: so, yeah, okay. mm-hmm. it's quite
2: the deal every four years uh, because it's a huge part of our government can turn or stay the same depending on how people vote. So, given the gravity of what happens every four years, and given the fact that you know the government is increasingly involved in a lot of things that go on in this country, especially right now with COVID and everything else, there's a lot of consequences from this election, some intended, some unintended. And so what we wanted to do in this episode is basically talk about how does a Christian approach politics? How does a Christian approach voting, elections, those type of things? Just to be clear, the purpose is not to persuade voters, potential voters or listeners to uh, a particular policy preference. Rather, what we want to do is hopefully give a roadmap or lay down some guideposts as to how a Christian should think about issues, how a Christian should think about politics, how a Christian should think about government. And that's really going to be the focus of of tonight's episode.
1: I feel like this ends up being what the church talks about every four years. You know, it's, yeah. well, that's it's true. just kind of a reminder to everyone, hey, you know, you need to be voting your conscience and you need to be trying to vote biblically and you need to, Uh, be seeking unity with folks who disagree with you. And I guess every four years we just get forgetful. Uh, I feel like every four years, it's kind of like if we don't get our guy, then it's the end of the world on both sides. And, You know, it just usually never plays out that way for either side once the election's done. So uh, I suppose it's a refresher in some ways, but hopefully it's something that sticks with us.
0: Well, and and I feel like more so than most years that I can remember, this one is especially contentious, not just because of the presidential debate that's going on right now, but I also think it's contentious because of what's going on with the Supreme Court and everything else there. Mm -hmm. So. There is a lot of division in our country. There's a lot of division in the church. And so, yeah, I do think that the church comes around to this every four years and says, hey, don't you know, don't forget not to go crazy. Then Jesus is Lord and all those things. So we we want to do a deeper dive into that and talk about some of the scripture and everything else. So I, I think maybe we should uh, go to our sneak peek. So tonight, to guide this discussion, what we're going to do from a big-picture perspective is we are going to look at two of the key verses in Scripture that deal with politics. And then we're going to talk a little bit about an article that was released in 1985 by J.I. Packer. 85. See, I thought 91, so... No, it was released in 1985. April 19th, 1985, it was released. Is that the original 1985 Christianity Today article, <laughs>
1: magazine.
2: Now, <laughs> How old do you think
0: I am?
1: <laughs> Someone bad. got him a subscription the day he was born, and he's been uh, keeping it ever since.
2: But they just republished it. We should say is, yes. is the reason why this is something that got
0: well. And I, and I think I think that's notable. I think any sort of political advice that can stand, especially these days, over 30 years of aging is worth our while to examine so we want to examine the scriptures uh specifically we want to look at first peter 2 and romans 13 and then um we want to use kind of the packer article to frame that discussion so what i want to do do you here, want to say
2: before we get into that do you want to talk a little bit about who j.i J. packer is now or do you want to yeah
0: you why don't you go ahead and tell us who j.i packer is because the late
2: well I, I think packer. he's uh, yeah I, I think he died like in july yeah. of this year, actually. Um, yes. He was in his 90s, so he lived a long life. He is a British-born, I don't know, would you call him a theologian? Yes. Uh,
0: I don't know if he actually, was he a...
2: Pastor at one point, I don't know.
0: I think he was kind of a pastor. He was a, he was certainly a professor, I believe, at Regent College. It's in Canada, right? Yes, in, that's in British Columbia, I think. Yes, makes sense. So
2: he's a Canadian citizen, British born. Interestingly, the article is about Christian politics, but specifically like American <laughs> politics. And he's you know the author of many books, one of which is Knowing God. I think that's one of his probably most
0: famous books. Yep. Most famous, and and also I would say that's another good reason to examine this article is he's kind of an outsider looking in, right? He's British born. Canadian and he's kind of looking into the life of our politics and, and giving some outsider perspective, which I think is helpful.
2: Yeah, exactly. What do you want to talk a little bit about the the relevant texts uh, of scripture?
0: Yeah, I, I think what I want to do is I want to start by reading them and then maybe we could get into our counselor session. So let me, let me let read them. The first one is from First Peter 2, 13 through 17, and I'll be reading out of the ESV. And what I'd encourage listeners to do as I read this is, is really concentrate on what I'm reading and think about how does this apply today? Because certainly, and Packer points this out in the article, Roman citizens didn't really have very much uh, say in who was governing them. Who was the emperor? Right. And But we do. And, and and Packer talks about you know the difference between those two realities. But regardless, God's truth remains forever. And so think about how we apply these things today, because this is what we have in scripture, these are the most clear sections of scripture that we have about government and the role of government and how we respond to government. So what 1 Peter two thirteen through 17 says is, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So that's 1 Peter two thirteen through 17. And then we're also going to talk about Romans 13, 1 through 7. And that says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, and respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. So that's just a, a quick read of the scriptures. And I think now we're going to go into the counselors and just talk about how we feel about this topic, how we feel about these scriptures, or how we feel about our day.
1: <laughs> Feelings are mentionable and manageable. David, how you feeling over there? I'm conflicted on this. I mean, as a believer, I understand that the world is not our home. America is not the kingdom that we're trying to advance. And so as I read these you know, articles like this Packer article about the Christian responsibility to be involved in politics and in decisions regarding government and all that, I really have to check where I am uh, just because my tendency is to just get overwhelmed and get really critical and cynical and just want to withdraw and be a little ignorant. And I would say too, just to be honest, I'm, I'm not super patriotic. I, I never have been. It's not that I don't like America, don't enjoy living here or that I don't appreciate it because I do. Um, but for one thing, I've been exposed to a lot of different countries and cultures. Uh, I grew up in Ecuador uh, for several years. We lived in Czech Republic, lived in Ireland. And so when, when I hear folks saying America's the best country ever and we're number one and we're better than everybody else, you know, it's like, well, I've lived in other places and they have stuff that I like better than here, you know they are beating us on some stuff, anathema, <laughs> yeah. <I know. laughs> <laughs> so I just kind come to appreciate a lot of other countries and cultures. I feel like yeah. that makes me sound snobby or something, but that's part of it. Just as a believer, I, I see massive flaws in how America is operating. I don't think that America is God's favorite country. I think God has blessed America in a lot of ways, but I think we're trying everything we can do to uh, shirk that blessing and ensure that we don't get future blessings. So any blessing that we're getting right now is just out of his mercy um, and his grace. It's not because we're trying to seek him or honor him. And then I've just seen so many instances where the church tries to marry faith and politics right. in an unhealthy way, you know, demanding that we do 4th of July services and that sort of thing. Or, I mean, to me, the, the great example that stands out is uh, Robert Jefferson's church singing a song that they wrote called make America great again after Trump got elected. <laughs> They just took Trump's That's campaign slogan and yeah, made it into a song. and To me, that was just, that felt like emperor worship a little bit, you yeah. know? And so I just, I see, you know, pictures of Jesus with an American flag draped over his shoulders and that sort of thing. And it just makes me cringe. And I feel like it's so opposed to what we need to be pursuing and how we need to be viewing Our country. So I want our country to seek God. I want our country to succeed. I want our country to honor him. And sometimes it's just hard for me to see how our political system is ever going to help us do that. Mm -hmm. So I'll say I'm pretty jaded on this and probably need to grow a lot in this area as a believer. Gotcha. Matt?
2: Well, I think it's an important discussion to have. Quite frankly, it serves a reminder just for me to refocus as to where our true kingdom is. And I hope that, you know, this discussion will allow, you know, other believers to sort of have a framework or frameworks, however you want to look at it, to really think about how we approach not only issues, but just politics generally. So the world's a different place after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The world is different and everything needs to be looked at through that lens. And politics are not an exception to that. So like I said, it it serves a reminder to me because it's easy to get sucked down into that, especially... I think you said this a second ago, Stephen, but it's really contentious right now. And it's very easy, whether it's at work or wherever, to get sucked down into politics. And And I'll share this just real quick. This is just an example of that. I was at work today and a colleague and I were talking about, there was supposed to be another presidential debate this week and it got canceled or Trump didn't want to do it. And then Biden said, well, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do a town hall. Well, it turns out that both candidates are having their own town halls, one on ABC, one on NBC this week. And I was just sort of laughing. Like I thought it wasn't safe to debate. <laughs> so now we're going to have town halls with a bunch of people, but we were talking about it. And then he, my colleague mentioned that, you know, he had been watching on TV and he said, you know, it's weird. You know, you see these rallies and he says, you see all these people at Trump's rallies. And then you see, Biden rallies and he's like the camera doesn't really show people there and he's like i'm not really sure there's a lot of people in his rallies and i think he was just making an observation mm-hmm. and somebody like two cubicle rows down popped up and was like it doesn't really matter it doesn't matter if anybody's at biden's rallies like just angry like it was like somehow we had slighted just making an observation with no opinion exactly and so that's that just is in a very small example of the contentious nature of things so this conversation i think is going to be fruitful hopefully for me but for our listeners to say hey we got to step back a little bit and get out of this contentious grind that we're going through and right in the heat of it right now because there's only a few weeks before the election
0: Yeah. I think that's sort of where I land on, on how I feel during an election year, uh, especially in, in the last month, I have a lot of friends of varying opinions and ideologies, and it's always interesting to come into this time of election cycles. And honestly, if one domino falls the wrong way, it becomes divisive. I enjoy a good debate every now and then, or exploring other people's opinions so that I can help craft and sharpen my own. But I feel like as we get closer and closer to these elections and, and this one, for some reason, especially I feel like has just been divisive that there's, that there's all of this name calling that there's all this, you know, how can you, how can you vote this way? How can you vote that way? That wouldn't be what I would think that, you know, Christian would be able to do. So I see that it just becomes a very divisive Mm -hmm. thing for a lot of people. And I read this earlier this year. Actually, I taught on that first Peter passage earlier this year. And this quote really stuck with me. It actually caused me to go and read this guy's full book. But this quote came from an article I was reading called Be Careful About Reading the Bible as a Political Guide. And the author was Jonathan Lehman, who's also published a book about politics and Christianity called How the Nations Rage. And I'll link that in our show notes. But he said, when it comes to determining how the Bible addresses political issues, it's many related verses can feel like a massive sack of Legos. One person opens the sack and builds a car, another a brontosaurus, another an old Western town with enough skill. You can build whatever you want. Want to make the Bible say welfare policies are bad. Find a proverb on laziness leading to poverty. Want to say the opposite. Find another calling people to defend the rights of the poor and needy. The point is not the Proverbs contradicts itself, All these passages say something true, but we lack clear rules for knowing how any one of them should guide today's public policy. Further, we too often witness people and parties exploiting the Bible for their purposes. And I thought that was such a great quote because I I see that. I see that especially in times like right now because you, you really can come away with opposite impressions from the same Bible. We're all reading the same Bible. And so I think this is a really timely discussion to have. Clearly, it's a timely discussion to have. And I'm excited about doing it.
1: Well, that's, that's part of the reason why I almost think of politics as like a separate thing from my faith, because I feel like when the Bible gets introduced, sometimes classic example, Trump marches through DC, stands in front of the church, holds up that Bible in the weirdest possible way for a photo op, doesn't say anything of any substance, just wants to walk out and uh, make a show of strength. So I see that and I'm thinking, what in the world? That doesn't mean anything to me as a committed follower of Jesus. I don't think that guy loves the Bible anymore because he went and did that. Biden responds by accusing Trump of, you know, misusing this sacred text for something else. I don't really think Biden thinks it's a sacred text. You know, I'm not convinced either one of them have read a Bible before. So it's just like when I see stuff like that, I'm just immediately like, well, you're using that for some sort of political gain. Like you're not using that because you want to honor what's in the word itself. You may not even know what's in there. You're just using I think it to a, try to appeal to a certain group or look a certain way.
2: And, I, and we got to move on. But I do think it's an interesting observation as the country becomes more secular, how even referencing religion, even like your private faith is even going to matter. Yeah. Because these two candidates like pretty much don't, talk about their faith i mean you know they have surrogates to say you know oh well you know trump's a baby christian or and yeah. and people you know have referred to biden oh he's a catholic and i think it was largely to sort of inoculate him from comments about amy coney barrett and anti-catholicism comments that had been previously made or perceived to have been made mm. but i mean there's really nobody talking about their faith it's not even part of the dialogue anymore so yeah anyway uh, we want to dive in
0: So I thought we would start for just a couple of minutes by talking about those two passages. And I think where I want to start, and Matt, you mentioned this just before we started the podcast tonight. So maybe you can um, take this for for a little spin, but I wanted to start by thinking about that passage in first Peter and Peter's progression, Mm -hmm. if you will. Do you want to?
2: Yeah. I think Peter is a perfect example of someone who was lost and was found, um, Peter, if you read the read the Gospels, if you understand the life of Peter, Peter was by and large a very zealous um, defender of the nation of Israel. Perceived that the Roman occupation was certainly against God, and was really seeking and was looking for, and like a believing Jew in that time, a Messiah that would come and basically rid the Jewish people of the Roman oppressors and to reinstall a king of Israel in the land of Israel that their ancestors established. And that's what he wanted. And so what I'm describing right there is politics, right? It's political on earth power and gain. And Peter, that's the world Peter lived. And and then, of course, he ends up following Jesus for three years. And and what you see is an evolution from that. And you see during, and it's wonderful through the Gospels, you see Peter sometimes kind of getting it at Caesarea, he says, "You are the Messiah." And then other times, he Jesus says, "Well, I'm going to have to be crucified." And 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 Peter's like, "That's not going to happen." He's like, "Get behind me, Satan!" Yeah. I mean, it, you see it sort of. He's starting to get it. But he's not really. And then to the the scripture that Stephen you read earlier shows the the really the full maturation of Peter that then says, "You know what? I understand the role of government, but there's a heck of a lot more important things than." politics and and government and earthly rewards and and power and so i I think he's a great example for christians that's my take on peter i think he's a great example and you just got to understand his evolution and not just read you know the scripture's great but don't you got to see the whole picture of peter to understand how he finally arrived at being able to write a letter that says those things
0: yeah and i want to fill out that skeleton a little bit more and say that you know he yes he had that instance where jesus said get behind me satan because he was, he was saying, no, you, you can't go around telling people that you're going to die, right? Because you're the, you're the political leader and Jesus is, is trying to tell him, no, this is not, this is not about politics this is bigger. And then when they came to arrest Jesus, it was Peter that drew the sword. Mm-hmm. That's if right. At, if you look at John 18, it was Peter that drew the sword and struck off the ear because he was thinking, this is it. This is the time it's about to happen. And then what happened that very night, they took Jesus away and he, and he started denying him yep. because he was, he was watching as his political ambitions were going downhill and Jesus was being tried and nothing was happening. And then and in John 21, he's, he's out. Like he's, 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 I'm going fishing. I'm yeah, done, you yep, know? That's right. And it's not till Jesus walks up to him and then what we see in Acts is a guy who is emboldened by the spirit and is standing before emperors and governors and giving account and, and the Sanhedrin and the just the rulers of his day and saying, you know, whether we should obey you or God, you're going to have to decide, but we're going to obey God because that seems like the, the best course of action. And so, yeah, he was really emboldened to the point where towards the end of his life, he's writing first Peter and he's saying, Hey, government is here and it serves a purpose and it's ordained by God, and you need to honor the Emperor and love the Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that phrase, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. That alone should be what we march to in October and November. Honor yeah. everyone. There's a lot of not honoring people going on. Love the brotherhood, you know. Even in the church, there's a lot of division a lot of times. So yep. we are to be unified. We are to show each other love, and heaven forbid we we divide ourselves over politics. Fear God, that is the root of our love. Honor the emperor.
2: Well, and I think what I would say is before that verse, those verses that you read, is the the whole you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, et cetera. That's right. And so you, if you sort of put them together, he's saying, look. Our calling is the Messiah's calling, Jesus' is calling. We are God's people, and we need to live that way. And then there is this space that, as you read, there is this space which is politics and government. And we have to interact with that space, but understand that that space is not the ultimate. The space that's the ultimate is being the people of God.
1: Right. Well, I realize the scripture doesn't put Peter out as like, here's the example of how you need to understand politics but just to summarize what you guys are saying i mean would you would you say that he part of his maturation process as a disciple of Jesus is going from thinking that his role is to overthrow government then to eventually saying no my role is to be a good citizen and to fear God first because yeah, like you said that's a that's a process for him even we see him preaching and being bold in acts but at the very beginning of acts all the disciples are together and jesus is about to ascend and they're like are you gonna bring the kingdom now, you know, it's like now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, That's right. And so even, even just seconds before Jesus leaves the earth, even after he's resurrected, they're just like, so, so when's that kingdom coming? So they still don't get it. So it is a a process for him for sure. But you think that's something that we should aspire to of moving from thinking that our role is to move government in a certain direction and then saying, no, I'm going to participate and play my part. But my, my main role is to be a good citizen. I don't know what, I don't know if the balance is there because the sense I get a lot now is if we don't vote, if we don't do everything we can, then we're not going to be ushering in God's kingdom the way that we need to be here on earth. That's the sense that I get sometimes. And so I wonder if it's just do your part, but ultimately God's in control and we just need to focus on being good citizens whether that means you, yeah, and I think I flood, think the Packer
2: but. article, and we'll get into it. I think the Packer yeah. article uh, speaks to some of the things you're raising for yeah, sure. I,
0: I think it'll help flesh that out. And and before we before we jump into the Packer <clears throat> article, I think I do want to just bring up the Romans passage really quick because you got Paul then who has written a very heady book with Romans, but we went through that a couple years ago. And I was pulling back out some of my notes from going through that, and I thought one of the things that was very intriguing to me was from a section standpoint of where this falls in the book, where this advice about government falls in the book. What he's saying is in chapters one through four, the gospel reveals God's righteousness and five through eight, it creates a new humanity in nine through 11, it fulfills God's promise to Israel. And then, and this is in chapter 13. Is where this passage on the government is and that's part of the overall structure of the book about unifying the church and so from a microcosm of that 12 and 13 are about living in love and 14 through 16 are about living in grace so how we live with one another and i i find that fascinating when we think about Hmm. how you know if you look at the whole arc of romans it starts with the gospel and i think that's that's where it starts with the gospel It starts with god's righteousness it talks about how we are how we are formed in that new humanity, and then it says that we need to live in love and live in grace with one another. Yep. And I think we could probably use that a lot more. And I think to your point, David, that there's a lot about unity here. And, and as we mature, I think we see that, you know what? Government is God's tool. It's God's tool, and he will do with it what he wants, what he wishes. So come November 4th, God's still in control. It, it's something where I don't want to be kind of milk toast about it, right? And be like, Oh, we should just all get along. And everyone's opinion is valid. I I do think there are some specific moral issues that we need to be concerned about. And a lot of times I think that's where Christians bicker is how could you support this because they how could you support this person? Because they support this. How could you support this person? And that's where the disunity comes. But ultimately what we are commanded to do is trust God and live with one another in unity and love. And so, you know, Packer starts his article with these two chapters and I think some of what you were talking about David earlier just a few minutes ago is what he gets into so Matt you want to run down kind of just do a rundown of the the article real quick he starts out the article with a couple uh,
2: points he wants to make first of all he reiterates what we've talked about earlier which is that um, government generally has been ordained by God to maintain order promote justice in the good and so that's consistent with what with the, the scripture that we read earlier he says that christians should not be indifferent about government that while our ultimate view should be on the kingdom of god and understanding that that's not going to be consummated until jesus returns we should not be indifferent about things and so that's particularly true i would say in here because we we as citizens in a representative democracy we do play a part a significant part on who our leaders are so uh he would say hey we should not be indifferent towards government and then what he does is he lays out what he sees as and this is again and written in 1985 i'd be curious if you guys have different thoughts on this but he said in at least in 1985 he sort of puts three misguided views of christians intersection with politics one is what i would say is using the gospel of Jesus Christ is really just, I think he even calls it maybe a toolkit or maybe those are my words, I can't remember. But basically using it as just kind of like what you did earlier when you quoted, is it Lehman, Lehman? Yeah, Lehman. But basically just grab bag, pick a few pieces of scripture and say, Hey, Jesus was a good guy. He's got some good, nice, sweet things to say, and and use that. I'm cool with Jesus. Yeah, exactly. To push a certain political agenda or a certain policy agenda. And he said that's I'm obviously. I'm cool with Jesus, and
0: Jesus is cool with exactly, me and my agenda. Exactly. You do
2: you. Right? That's right. So that's one that's sort of one. And he sort of says that's clearly not consistent with what you know the Bible teaches. The um the second one is what he says is there is a tendency at least in 1985 and i think this to some degree is exi- still exists is he, he says that there's a what he calls pietistic inhibitions of some christians to say you know what i'm getting dirty with politics i think it's a dirty it's ugly and etc and, and i'm going to stay above the fray on that and i'm not going to engage it and and he goes into the article a little bit about why he thinks that's that's also not the proper rule of a christian Um, in politics. The last one, which I thought was kind of weird, I I don't really see this, but basically looking at politics as some sort of roadmap for like a revolution. And well, I guess it's political or otherwise that says, Hey, we're gonna, you know, take over the world and the Bible is supporting it through the old Testament or something like that. I don't know.
0: Well, I think what he's getting at in this last one is exactly what David was talking about earlier. Okay. That's, that's that, there are some who would say not that politics is the end all be all, but that we have to engage in politics. Otherwise we're going to lose some sort of culture war or we're going to be, you're not being a good citizen. You're not being a good Christian. If you don't engage in politics and we have to put this person and this person in because you're not going to get this outcome. If you don't politics are like an, uh, an Armageddon. Right. And (laughs) And, and, and associating particularly, I think this happens when we start associating particular parties or people with the faith and so it's synonymous a bit, with the yeah, yeah and yeah. so i think I that's, that's what he was that's driving right okay yeah and again this is 85 so we're still we're still very much in culture war territory here yeah
2: i, I think that's right
0: um but I, I think that's kind of morphed to essentially what david was describing mm-hmm. i mean do you would you agree with that that sort of this this idea that you know if you don't engage in politics then you are somehow not doing your civic duty. You're not a good Christian. You're not a good citizen. You're not, you know, is that sort of where you were going with that or have, have I gone way off the rails?
1: Yeah, uh, no, I totally, and I think that's often done to the exclusion of actual like personal involvement or taking steps to try to remedy problems in society. Ah, that's good. Um, I, I read a really interesting article by David French Recently, and the conclusion of his article is basically what you do on a local level. He was talking about particularly abortion. So what you do on a local level has way more impact than who gets in the Oval Office just historically you know, we keep voting in these Republican presidents thinking that they're going to do away with Roe v. Wade or whatever else. And a lot of times it's just not the case. His point wasn't that that doesn't matter. Uh, he made several points in there showing that it does matter that we vote and having folks in government beyond just the president who align with your beliefs on these things matters. But I think we, we think if, if I'm really pro-life, the only thing I need to do is vote in a pro-life president, you know, or vote for a pro-life president. Right. Um, and that's often to the exclusion of actually doing any groundwork, going in volunteering, in a crisis pregnancy center, or offering help to single mothers, or counseling, or whatever else—that's right—and else. right. so we view that as something that is not political, but yeah, well, and and like I mean, we but it's really that, serve, yeah, yeah, we wouldn't, we probably wouldn't call that political, and, yeah. and I don't think we should. But saying like well, this is our this is our civic duty to go vote in the right guy. And I'm probably not going to do anything during the week to try to fix the problems that I'm hoping he'll right. fix, but yeah. then voting. we can wash our hands of, of the problem, right? Yeah, yeah. Because we, we, our guy got in and so it's not, a, it's not our
0: problem anymore. And so, yeah, I've actually got a couple of friends that would echo that. And, and again, this is also where we get divisive. They would say, look, I mean, Republicans have essentially been patsies, yeah. right? That you, you <laughs> know, that they keep using this to get elected, but nothing ever happens. And you know, the, the Democrats are far more pro-life than the Republicans are on all their other policies. You, maybe not abortion, but on all the other ones, and and that's again, if you're listening to me right now and you're yelling at your radio, stop it because I'm not trying to I'm not trying to get into that debate. What I'm trying to say is is we tend to get into one of these three things that Packer has laid out as mm-hmm. as errors where Christians can get sucked in to engaging with politics in the wrong way, and instead yeah. he kind of he yeah. kind of turns the coin and says, here's the way that Christians can engage with politics the right way. Yeah. So,
2: sort of turning, he offers up, uh, I believe it's about four or five different things about what Christians should do. One is, he says that all Christians should be informed, and I do think that that is something that's important, because we as Christians, while we, as Peter says, sojourners or exiles or whatever, we do live in the world, and, you know, Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, meaning, Jesus' ministry was to bring the kingdom of God down to earth, right? Yeah. Um, and so for us to sort of divorce ourselves from the earth or to divorce ourselves from politics and be completely ill-informed or uninformed is not the calling of a Christian. Uh, and so I agree with him on that. And I think it's particularly important in our system because, right. and again, because you know, Peter and Paul, they were writing in a situation where they really didn't they didn't have an opportunity to participate in politics. But in our system, we truly have the opportunity as individuals to participate in the process, which is through our voting or advocacy or anything like that. And I think being informed on issues, being informed on candidates is important because I think at the end of the day, as we've talked about earlier, government does exist to do God's will in a macro sense, and we should be wanting to put people in office that believe or have ideas in general that are consistent with the kingdom of God. And that that may sound political, but it's not meant to be partisan political. It's simply to say is, "Hey, does this person care about the poor?" And, and so immediately people are going to say, well, then, Matt, you must be a Democrat because, you know, that's not what I'm saying. I mean, I, there can be debates, policy debates as to how do you care for the poor? You know, abortion. We can talk about abortion. Like, you know, I think that the scripture is pretty clear on, on some of those issues in the issue of marriage. But I think that there's a lot of areas where there are substantive issues that Christians should be informed about and be able to engage with because this is God's world. He created it. Yes. And we need to engage with the world in that way, understanding that we are not trying to build the kingdom through our political leaders.
0: Yeah, and and I think as you engage and become more informed, I think what David said earlier is your own personal outworking of that. That yes. is, That's where you probably can make the most difference. So yes, be informed, but then go do something about it. Try to align what you're doing with the kingdom of God here on earth. And so then, you know, from there, Packer says, pray. And that one, I think we, a lot of times just gloss over, but when was the last time that you actually prayed for someone in leadership in a public office? And that's convicting to me because I know often I like to complain But we have a very powerful tool at our disposal, and that's prayer. We can approach the throne of Almighty God about these situations and know that he can handle it. And you know what? We're allowed to make mistakes here, and we need to be forgiving, and we need to have grace. We need to have love with our brothers and sisters. And
2: and pray for wisdom. Yes. Right? Biblical wisdom. So the next one is, he said, all should vote in elections and referenda, which we don't really have referenda, as far as I know, in in our state. From time to time. Do we?
0: Yeah. I'm probably,
2: I don't even, yeah, maybe we, we have one on the ballot this time. I don't know. But the the bottom line is he thinks it's important that Christians vote, um, which speaks to uh, the participatory nature of, of things, at least in Packer's view. And then he says, he kind of talks about, well, there's going to be some people who not only stay informed and not only pray for our leaders and not only, you know, vote as a citizen, but he says some are actually going to be called to do more than that. And whether that's, writing or debating or actually seeking office. And he said that that's okay. That that Christians can engage in that space, unlike the the second sort of talking about the things he said that are misguided, which is completely removal. He says it's yeah. okay for a Christian to participate in the political
0: process um, beyond just voting. And he does provide some warnings that this is a very difficult space for a Christian to engage in, I mean particularly professionally, because you're constantly having to operate in gray areas and a lot of times that doesn't align with your faith and,
2: and i think we've got great examples including i mean really particularly in the old testament you yeah. look at joseph you look at daniel well, let's mean,
0: let's uh, let's mention that for a minute because yeah joseph essentially if you look at what he did he went in he got power he taxed all the people for seven years and then he sold back what he had taxed them until they were out of land out of money, mm-hmm. and then they said, "Well, we'll just sell you ourselves." And this was the Egyptian people. I'm not talking about the Israelites. Go read it in Genesis. He essentially enslaved the entire nation with their own money. Mm-hmm. And I think we d- we don't often take a view of that, but I, I say that to say that God used Joseph he did to extend the line of Israel to protect them and to give them a place to be. Now that ultimately didn't go well for them, and Moses came and freed them from that bondage. But I think so often we have a rose colored view of things when God is in, in control. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's good and And
2: Daniel's yeah. a great example too. I mean, I can't remember exactly his role that he served in the Bible. Was he like a civil servant or I, I mean he was he was right handed into the king. Is that what he Yeah, it, eventually, like I mean that's why he kept getting himself into the you know, But he kept, kept and the thing about it is, and I think it serves as an example of not only participating, but there were examples where Daniel just said, Yeah. I'm not doing that. Like yeah, he spoke he spoke truth to power. He spoke mm-hmm. truth to power even though he was part of the machine as it is. Yeah. And so I think we've got great examples of people and that doesn't mean well the calling of a Christian is to, you know, be a politician. It's simply saying is we can participate in this. There's examples in the Bible of people participating in this. Does that mean that we are going to be 100% right on everything we do? No, but we have to have a distinctiveness about us whether it's being a politician whether it's being an advocate on a on a certain issue but we should and this gets to sort of a bigger point but I think Christians have got to be distinctive on how we approach politics yeah and if if people in our conversations Don't walk away from those conversations and say, hey, that guy's got, you know, strong views on, you know, some hot topics, abortion or whatever the issue is. If they don't walk away from there saying, but there's something more to Matt's life and outlook and worldview than the temporal politics, then that's a problem for Matt. And I think that's where we should be distinctive, that we don't see politics as some zero-sum game, that it's, you know, as I said earlier, Armageddon, and this is all there is, because that's not what we believe. We believe that there's a hope, and that's through Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah. I was thinking about an article I read recently from Doug Wilson, and he says in there, if Daniel and Esther and Mordecai and Hezekiah and Joseph could function as political players with true integrity within the framework of those various pagan establishments then how much more should it be possible for a Christian today to function within our quasi-Christian, semi-pagan system? Uh, From the way the scripture tells our stories, they were able to do that without compromise. They didn't bend in their own dedication to God. And as far as the larger system went, they did what they could as they pushed in the best direction possible out of the available options. So sometimes I'm sometimes I'm tempted to say you know what? There are no good options. I'm just not even going to be a part of this because this is all terrible. The example from a lot of people, particularly in the old Testament is just make the best out of what you got. Try to be involved without sacrificing your values in the process. So he talks in this article about the fact that this is not sacramental, you know, like if this affected our standing with God, you know, to vote for someone who was not perfectly moral, then then we we just wouldn't vote. Uh, But he's like, this isn't a sacrament. This is a responsibility and privilege you have as a as a citizen of this country to try to better your country through your vote. And I'm tempted not to think of it that way and to think more like, well, it just doesn't matter. This is all garbage. I don't believe in anyone. I don't trust anyone. So I'm just not going to be a part of it, but I think it's a cop-out and I don't think I have the freedom to just opt out. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Because I think these issues, whatever the issue is, and and, and I've I've brought up abortion because it's, and it's a super sensitive issue and, and Christians debate it, but there are so many issues that, do affect real people and God cares about people. Yeah. And so to sort of say, well, I'm not going to engage with that. Like that doesn't seem to be. And and I think what Packer would say is that's not the Christian way to sort of withdraw from it.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. So I can't believe this, but we are already uh, well into the deep dive here. And I feel like we've just scratched the surface, but I think what we've, we've done a lot of good in what we've discussed, I think we've given people a lot to think about. So just in summary, then if this is something you're wrestling with, or if you're experiencing division or you don't know how to vote or you don't know how to engage, then I would encourage you to start with scripture, start with scripture and start with prayer because God is in control no matter what happens. And he's the one that moves and guides, as Matt said, at the the macro level nations and history. And so bring it before God. And for heaven's sakes, don't have division with your brothers and sisters. So if I could summarize what Packer said, it's that our involvement needs to be that we are informed, that we do have an opinion. We can be passionate about that, but that should not supersede our passion for Jesus Christ or his church and the people in the church. That comes first. Our unity with our brothers and sisters comes first. We should be praying for those in power. We should vote in elections and referendums. And then if you're so-called, do try to get involved either voluntarily through political influence by maybe writing or debating or even doing something like this, like a podcast like we're doing, or maybe God's calling you into a political vocation and that's okay too. And we need to be doing that. One of the things that David said that I think is key, and we're actually going through the book of Micah in Sunday school class right now, and I think Micah would say the same thing. Don't. Let the fact that your leader or your vote got counted allow you to wash your hands of injustice and oppression and other things that God cares about. Go get involved. Go serve in some capacity to push back the darkness in the world. It's not enough to just go vote. In fact, that probably does very little, and yet we let it affect us in so many ways. And so I would encourage our listeners to get involved in serving and pushing back the darkness in other venues other than just voting. And certainly don't let your vote allow you to just wash your hands of the things that you see in this world that are dark. Go fight that in some other way. Bring the light into that. So unfortunately, that's just all the time we have right now. So I think we need to run into our parting shots. You know, those guys in the closet sort of represent in my mind a certain political demographic, and I'm a little surprised they didn't shoot at us tonight. (laughs) Second (laughs) Amendment. (laughs) That's right. All right. David, you want to start us off with parting shots?
1: Yeah, uh, this whole discussion is just convicting for me because, like I said, my tendency is to withdraw. It is to be so cynical that I just say, you know, let's forget this whole thing and just whatever happens, happens. And sometimes we can use, or at least I know I do, use the sovereignty of God as kind of a cop out. God's going to accomplish his purposes, so it doesn't matter if I vote or not. We know that God ordains not only the ends, but also the means by which those ends are accomplished, and so if I've got a civic duty to play, um, a civic role to fill by voting, by being more involved, and in that way, if I can glorify God and be a good citizen, Mm -hmm. then I want to do that. I do know that my main responsibilities are to be a good citizen, to love the church well, worship God and to pray for my leaders too. Like you said, Stephen, we quote that verse a lot. We don't do it a lot. And if I'm doing those things, if I'm loving well, if I'm worshiping God, if I'm praying for my leaders, then I think I'm doing my part. And um, there may be other ways that that fleshes out and the specifics of what those things look like and those callings on my life, but I need to be obedient and willing to do those things.
2: Yeah, that's good. I have a few parting shots. What I would say is, is that we need to understand as Christians. and this is just for me and I've, I'm saying this to myself too, is is that we've got to have an appropriate view of what government is and its limitations. And I've said this before in our Sunday school class, but we live in this tension, which is this sort of already but not yet, which is this world in which we're waiting for the kingdom to be fully consummated. It's been inaugurated through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but it's not fully consummated. And the world is a different place, but it's not complete. And um, N.T. Wright has a great quote in one of his books called um, The Day the Revolution Began. And what he says is, is to reflect the divine image means standing between heaven and earth, even in the present time, adoring the creator and bringing his purposes into reality on earth ahead of the time when God completes the task and makes all things new. The royal priesthood is the company of rescued humans who, being part of earth, worship the God of heaven and are thereby equipped with the breath of heaven and their renewed lungs to work for his kingdom on earth. The revolution of the cross sets us free to be in between people, caught up in the rhythm of worship and mission. And I think that's a way to approach politics, which is we are here to uh, serve God and uh, work for the kingdom of God, understanding there's limitations to that until Jesus comes back again. And um, the last thing I would say about it, and we didn't get into this, but as we indicated, the article is, you know, 30 plus years old. But I do wonder if Packer, and he just died, but he didn't reflect, to my knowledge, on on this article. But I do wonder if he would have some different opinions given where the culture's gone in the last 30 years. I think we, we talk about stats all the time, but, you know, church attendance in the last 20 years from 2020 to 2000, it's basically down half. And to tease this out a little bit more for the next episode, I mean, the view we have as human beings in this culture is changing And we're going to get into this a lot with uh, Dr. Truman next episode. But and I just leave it this to say: is the meaning of life and the meaning of personhood and and those things? Does it change a little bit? What it change? Uh, Packer's view about how we approach politics because the culture has made a rapid change according to Dr. Truman, which I agree with him, you know, and for Packer's point of view, the last 30 years, things have changed a lot. So that's a question I throw out there. I think it'll probably be interesting to to talk to Dr. Truman about, but nevertheless, I do think there's a lot of wisdom in what Packer said 30 plus years ago. And I really enjoyed this discussion with y'all. And like I said, it served as a reminder to me.
0: Yeah, it's good. If I had any parting shots, it would be that this is a huge topic. This is a divisive topic, and if, if you want to go deeper, uh, I can recommend to you several books. Like I said, I taught that first Peter passage, and so for that, I read a couple books. I ran across a couple books, and I'm going to recommend those in a minute, but I can't emphasize this enough. Start with Scripture. Yes. Start with Scripture and pray through the Scripture. And then go to these outside books. So start in that first Peter passage, go read about Joseph, go read in Micah, go read in Romans, pray through those texts, see what God would have you to do, and, and then go do that. And often that will be enough. If you want to go even deeper than that, some of the books that I would say are more current than maybe the Packer article was, that I think reflect a little bit more about some of the changes we're seeing in society, that, as we said, we'll talk to Dr. Truman about in, in the next two episodes is How the Nation's Rage, Rethinking Faith and Politics in a Divided Age by Jonathan Lehman. It's a great one. Onward, Engaging the Culture Without Losing the Gospel by Russell Moore. Both of those I've read and the other ones I haven't. This one's on its way to me. Thanks to Amazon Prime Day. Before You Vote, Seven Questions Every Christian Should Ask by David Platt. Yeah, I listened to a
2: podcast uh, interview on that book. It's so, good. Is it good? I'm, I mean, there's an int- I haven't read the book, but I heard him talk well, about it. So it's I've good. I've
0: got two weeks before I vote. So I got a couple weeks to see the seven things that i should (laughs) um that every christian should ask god in politics jesus's vision for society state and the government by mark deaver and politics according to the bible a comprehensive resource for understanding modern political issues in light of scripture by wayne grudem and if any of his other texts are an indicator. That one will be, as he said, comprehensive, um, systematic, systematic, if you will. Um, He's yeah, no, I I actually, I actually own that one digitally and it's it's very difficult to get through digitally because yeah, if I had it normally, it'd be very (laughs) thick. So anyway, those are some resources. I'll put those up on the website and I just want to say thank you to everyone who's hung with us this long and just encourage you to uh, have unity with your brothers and sisters.
1: Yeah, this has spurred some good um, reflection for me, just thinking through how I think on this issue and how I view scripture pointing our way as we kind of tread this path of uh, American politics. Um, So I would encourage our listeners, if you guys want to reach out, if you have any feedback from our episodes, uh, we'd love to get that. Uh, I got a text from one of our listeners, Brett, This week he had listened to our uh, most recent episode on the social dilemma. And he said, I was listening to the podcast this week and it got me thinking about how God and his sovereignty custom builds our experience very much like the social media platforms. I think they continue to draw us in similar to how God continues to draw us to him. There are obviously some major differences in how God works, but I think that's one thing that really draws people in. We are created to be drawn in. Mm -hmm. I think as we move into the future, more and more of our lives will be challenged by experience and technology that is built to draw us back. And we will continue to lose our sense of awe for the reality that has been crafted for us by God. And I thought that was such a cool point that that's that's a deep thought. Yes. Yeah. That God is actively working to draw us to himself and social media is doing that in the same way. And like we said, several times last week. Uh, We're giving that our attention so much of the time. And I think one of the outcomes of that is that we are missing the things that God is doing right in front of our eyes because we're so glued to our phone and social media.
0: David, last, last episode, you did say that it's not a fair fight between us and our phones and the media. Would you say it's a fair fight between us and God? (laughs) No. Okay. So he's like the ultimate algorithm.
1: Yeah. He is the uh, irresistible grace that AI does not possess. So, (laughs) (laughs)
0: And on that note, (laughs) 2020 by the end of 2020.
1: (laughs) That's right.
2: Yep. So we'll be back next time. As we said, Dr. Truman.
0: And don't forget that we will read your stuff out loud if you send it to us. And the next two episodes are going to be Dr. Truman. And then we have a a special season finale episode of the social remote. Thanks for joining us. Share us on the socials. 2020 listens by the end of 2020. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing that. All right. See you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Socially Remote Podcast. Until next time, stay socially remote, but in a good way. Try to practice social distancing from the tribalistic monologues you find in places like social media. Instead, we encourage you to have similar, meaningful conversations with friends, family, and neighbors. Kind of like the ones you hear right here on the Socially Remote Podcast.